What's going on everybody? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors at Renaissance. Today we're talking about something that for some of you it's going to be right on time, but for others of you it's going to be kind of hard to hear. Today we're talking about the relationship between pain and growth. This past year this concept became really clear to me when I went to Sequoia National Park in uh, California. While I was walking around this national park there were all of these huge giant trees and it was honestly one of the best experiences of my life. You feel like you're walking among giants. We would walk around and looking at different signs and I got, I got really into it trying to understand how these sequoias grew so large. And actually the largest tree on the planet is in Sequoia National Park. So as I was walking around looking at different signs, I found out something that was fascinating. It's the relationship between fire and, and growth. See for sequoias, they have all their seeds in these little cones. And these seeds don't touch the ground, don't hit the soil, until there's a fire that breaks out. And what the fire does is it releases the seeds and makes them able to penetrate the ground and to grow. Without a fire, a sequoia can never be born. Now, bigger than just the creation of a sequoia, what makes sequoias grow so large and larger than any other tree are these persistent fires that happen over and over and over again in their regions. What happens is the fires burn away all of the other plants which would be competing for nutrients and water with these sequoias. And not only that, but they actually burn the base of the sequoia so that the sequoias don't have any branches on the bottom that are taking nutrients and water from stopping it from growing into a giant. In other words, if you want a giant, you need fire in and around you. That got me thinking about a lot of things that we see in scripture over and over and over again, as painful as it is and as uncomfortable as it is to think about, whenever God wants to create a giant, whenever God wants to grow you, a lot of times God uses fire. The scripture that we're in for today is in 1 Peter, and it's a scripture that some of you have heard before, and it's one that explains this relationship between pain and growth. Here's what Peter says. He says, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is Peter saying in the scripture? He's saying a few things, uh, the first of which is kind of confusing. Peter is talking to a group of Christians who are being persecuted by a crooked emperor named Nero. And Nero is literally putting people to death by the dozens and the hundreds. People are being burned. People are being fed to lions. And the first thing Peter tells them is that you are being guarded. Why is Peter so bold to tell these people who are experiencing the worst persecution of their lives that they're being guarded? Because even though they're enduring the worst difficulty, the worst moments of their lives, that God has a hand in the situation still somehow. Now, I'm not stupid. My wife might think I am, but I'm not stupid. I know how difficult it is to even rationalize this concept that a God who is loving and powerful needs or uses pain in some way to make us grow. Like, isn't there another way that God can deepen your faith? Like, isn't there another way that God could teach you about 
scripture. Isn't there another way that God can make you have a better prayer life or deepen your connection with him? But over and over and over again in scripture, you see this relationship between pain and growth. I remember the, the worst day of my life. It was April 23rd, 2011. And my wife, my late wife had been dealing with cancer for about 10 months. And the day we drove to the hospital because she wasn't feeling well, as soon as we pulled up to the front door of the hospital of the emergency room, she stopped breathing. And I remember running her into the hospital like a madman screaming for help, something like off of a TV show. And when I got to the hospital, we got into the room and things settled down. I just kept on thinking to myself, like, God, you couldn't have given us just like five minutes, like five more minutes. If you would have allowed her to, you know, breathe on her own for five more minutes, I wouldn't have had to endure what was the worst moment of my life. Like, how is that going to be helpful for me or for anybody else? And if you would have come to me at that moment and said, Jordan, God is guarding you or that your faith is being refined now by fire, I probably would have wanted to punch you in your face. It made me so angry at the concept that God would use something, something so painful and to me what felt like so completely unnecessary. Now, to be perfectly honest, I still don't know why certain things uh, happened in my life, but I do know what the result was, that it refined me. Now, pain in your life is something that will always cause, cause growth. Pain in your life will always cause growth. It might be good growth or it might be bad growth, but pain in your life will never leave you in the same place. And what Peter is telling this group of Christians in this book is to not waste your pain, to not grow angry or disappointed to the extent that we miss out on what God might be doing in the process of our pain. Now I get it, we're in, a, in the middle of a national pandemic and some of you have just lost your job, some of you have lost loved ones, some of you are praying for God to heal a loved one right now who's in the hospital fighting for their lives. And the last thing you're probably thinking about is spiritual growth. And I get it, I understand. But still, for whatever reason, God uses pain and the fires of our lives, of our life, to grow us from infancy to maturity. There's a scripture in the Bible which I've never really fully understood and I'm understanding it more and more where it says that Jesus Christ himself learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And there's, there's this undeniable relationship between pain and growth. All throughout the Bible, in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells his disciples that you are the, the vines and my father is a gardener and he prunes those who are his. If you've ever seen a grapevine being pruned, uh, it basically looks like someone is just going away and hacking away at a bunch of obviously healthy leaves. In some cases, what the, what the vine dresser is doing is he's cutting away healthy leaves so that there could be more growth. There's an undeniable relationship between pain and growth. Now, here's what Peter is showing us in the scripture and what I hope that we'll get out of uh, reading through this and understanding this today. One, I wanted to help orient our understanding in the way that we're processing this moment, not so that we would dismiss what's going on, not so that we would kind of have this pie in the sky mentality, but rather so that we could have endurance, that we would have the ability to go through difficult moments of life with perseverance, with hope, to know that God is in the middle of this and that God might be using this to refine our character and to grow us stronger in our faith. I was talking to my mother-in-law the other day and uh, we were having a, a FaceTime conversation 
And while we were talking, she just kind of off the cuff said, you know what, Jordan? That's okay because disruption always leads to transformation. She said it with a Jamaican accent and I won't embarrass my Jamaican family by trying to do a Jamaican accent uh, <laughs> on, a, on an online service. But that's true. If you think about it in your life, the moments that have actually led to your growth have always been preceded by a disruption. This past couple of weeks, being home with my youngest child and teaching him and engaging with him more and more in his language. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't talk as fast as his, his older brother did. And really what was missing was that he needed more disruption in his life, which would lead him towards transformation. We needed to disrupt some of the habits that he had of just pointing at things or yelling or screaming, but rather to be made to, to be forced to say things out loud and to use his words. Now in small things and in big things, it's these small and big disruptions in our life that we can point back to and see that this was the moment that something changed in our life. Disruption always leads to transformation. So Peter is challenging people in this scripture to not waste or to miss out on what God is doing. Now, this is true for the pandemic, but this is also true for your day-to-day -day interactions. I've talked about this before in jokes and, and laughing around, but so much of my life, I was a people pleaser and I hated having difficult conversations. I ran away from difficult conversations. I would try to rationalize why I shouldn't have a difficult conversation. And while I was running away from that pain of having a difficult conversation, I was just remaining immature. When I finally stepped out and started having more gracious but blunt conversations with people, I saw real growth in my character. And had I chosen to remain safe and had I chosen to not embrace and to go towards the pain, I would have remained immature. Now that's true about me and that's also true about you. God uses pain, whether it's a pandemic or being a people pleaser, to grow us from infancy to maturity. And there is this undeniable relationship between pain and growth. Now, why is this so important in our lives? If you think about it, if you think about the people that have endurance, the people that are able to go through difficult situations for a long period of time, which is what Christians need in this time, which is what everyone needs in this time, Christian or not, you need one of two things. One, you need to know when something is going to end, right? That's like one way of helping you have endurance. One of our favorite pastimes is to watch the New York City Marathon, and I hope it's back on uh, this November, and to watch people at mile 22 in Harlem, and some people are riding the struggle bus by the time they hit mile 22. I won't call out any names because you're braver than I am for running the marathon, but some of our friends, even at Renaissance, when they hit mile 22, they look like they're about to die. They look like they are in absolute agony and pain. But what's the thing that keeps them going? It's knowing that the finish line is close. I have 4.2 miles and then I'm gonna be done. If you were to go to that marathoner at mile 22 and say, hey, I don't know how much longer you have to go, I don't know how many people will complete it. But they complete it because they know when the finish line is. Now, unfortunately, during this pandemic and in many of your personal lives, there is no finish line in sight. We don't know when things will go back to normal. We don't know whether or not our loved one will be healed. We don't know whether or not you'll get another job or when you'll get another job. So if we don't know when something will end, the other thing that gives us endurance is to understand what is the purpose of this thing that we're doing, to have to look forward to something in our lives. So if it's not when, when it's going to be over, we need to know the benefit 
of what we're enduring. So either you know when it's gonna be over or you need to know what is the benefit of what I'm going through. Now, again, I know this secondhand. Uh, I do not know this, what this feels like firsthand, ladies, but in talking to my wife about giving birth, so many women have said that in the agony of the childbirth process, they're looking forward to holding their baby. Now, even though they don't know when it's gonna end, they're looking forward to something, some benefit as a result, and as a result, they're able to withstand and endure uh, incredible amounts of pain. Now, sometimes uh, for fellas who can't uh, relate to childbirth, uh, it's like the person who didn't uh, pass the bar exam the first time, and I was talking to a friend and they didn't pass the first time, and as they were talking about taking it over and over and over again, and all of the pain that they would have to endure of signing up for another bar preparation course, of shelling out more money, of working late nights, uh, being prepared and studying. What motivated them to endure was the benefit of what they would get if they kept going forward. That one day they would be an admitted attorney in the state of New York and they would have all of the benefits that they worked so hard for. In the absence of knowing when something will end, we need to know what the benefit is. And here's what Peter is telling us. We don't know what time, is gonna, what time is gonna bring for us. We don't know when things will go back to normal, but here's the benefit Peter is saying. Right now, your faith, if you'll allow it, is being refined. Now, fire has a lot of properties. Um, in some ways, fire can destroy things. Many of us have seen, we've all seen the news watching where a fire has destroyed a building. But in the right hands, in the right circumstances, fire doesn't destroy, fire purifies. What does, James, what does Peter tell us in verses, uh, verse 7? He's saying, these trials and difficulties have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in, or the end result will be praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What, what is Peter saying? He's saying that God is like a jeweler who puts us into the crucible of fire and the purpose is not to destroy us, but to refine us. Now, very practically, I think we can all see how this is gonna happen in our lives. There's a scripture in James where James says, none of us should just say, tomorrow I'm gonna to do this, tomorrow I'm gonna to do that, I'm gonna to go to this city and do business, or I'm gonna to go to that city and do business. None of us should say anything like that because all of that is boasting. What we should say is if the Lord wills, I'll do this or I'll do that. Now, I don't think James is advocating that we say Lord willing in every sentence in our day. You know, Lord willing, I'll go to the bodega and Lord willing, they'll have chopped cheeses and Lord willing, they'll have some toilet tissue there. Um, that's not what James is advocating for in that scripture. What James is advocating for in, 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 that, in that chapter is none of us should pretend like we know what's gonna happen in the future. Now, right now, that is painfully clear to us. All of our plans, weddings, uh, parties, trips, vacations, you name it, random celebrations, none of those things are happening. Now, right now, we can read that scripture and say, oh man, I'm not gonna go back to the point to where I just say, I'm gonna do this or that, but rather I'm gonna have a posture and uh, a mind frame that's humble, that's way more humble that says, God, I don't know what the future holds for me, but hopefully, Lord willing, I'll do this or I'll do that. Now, what is it that has changed your mindset in this regard? What is it that brings humility to your life? Is it singing another song? 
Is it saying another prayer? Or is it the pain of the moment which has stripped this illusion of control out of your hands and has made it clear to you who you are in relation to God and how powerless we all are? There is a correlation between pain and growth. And Peter is letting us know this so that we can have endurance. But let's be honest, not everybody that comes out of a hardship comes out praising Jesus on the other side. There's a lot of people who come out more negative, more skeptical, more angry than they ever were. And I think that's because sometimes we're asking the wrong questions. I have no clue in my life why my life had to go the way it did. I have no idea why my late wife had to get cancer. I have no idea why all of the things happened to me in my life. I have no idea why the Knicks are so bad. Why is not a good question to ask for two reasons. Number one, there is no answer that's going to, going to emotionally satisfy you. If God were to explain to you why he took your loved one and all these other people lived, would that, would that do anything for you? Would it bring them back? And number two, I think it's a lot of arrogance that we have in asking this question. For so many months, I asked God, why was this happening? And to ask God that question, the underlying belief is that you would understand even if God explained to you. In the book of Job, which is a book on pain and difficulty and suffering, when God finally appears to Job at the end of the book, he says, Job, where were you when I hung the stars? Where were you when I created the world? Showing Job that there is this gap between him and us. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. Why is the wrong question? Because we wouldn't understand and it wouldn't satisfy us. The better question is, God, what is this producing in my life? Now, if you're like me, there might be moments of pain and difficulty where you say, God, I don't care what this is doing in my life. I just don't want to be here. And I get it. But still, it sheds some light on the purpose of what God is trying to do in our lives. In our lives. There's a scripture in Romans 8 where the Apostle Paul says that you and I, if we have put our faith in Christ, that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ, meaning that God has set out a course in our life so that you and I will be made to be more and more like Jesus. And as I mentioned earlier, Jesus learned obedience to the things that he suffered, as the writer tells us in Hebrews. Another thing Peter tells us, which I think is comforting for some, it's certainly comforting for me, is in verse 12 where he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now the word test there in verse 12 is not like the pop quiz that your eighth grade math teacher gave you. The word test that Peter was talking about was the process that goldsmiths used to, uh, to purify gold and other precious metals. And Peter is saying, don't be surprised that the goldsmith is putting you through the process of the goldsmith. But he also says that because he says, don't think it's strange because this is actually happening to everyone all over the world. One of the difficulties about pain is that it causes us to focus only on ourselves and it kind of, in some ways, locks us into a bubble where we can't think about anything other than us and the pain. Years ago, I had a pretty bad uh, toothache, one of those things where I couldn't even sleep through the night. And that whole night, I couldn't think about anything but that toothache. I didn't think about politics, I didn't think about church, I didn't think about work, I didn't think about relationships. All I thought about was the pain. And what Peter is doing here to this group of people is gently nudging them, saying, listen, I know the pain is right in front of you, but don't be surprised, don't be, don't be surprised at what's happening to you as this, 
as if this is strange. You're not the only person going through difficulties and pain. You're not alone. God is not out to get you. This is the process that the goldsmith takes all of the people who put their faith in him through. Now, what Peter commands and requests that you and I do as a result of this goldsmith who uses pain in our lives is Peter gives us a challenge. He says in chapter four, he says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Let me read that again. Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and do good. You know what that word commit means? In a lot of ways, it's like depositing or depositing money in a bank account that you will continue to present yourself and to give what is precious to you and put it in the hands of someone else because God is faithful is what Peter is saying. That even if you can't see it in the moment, that God is faithful, so you should continue to hand over what is precious to you to God's hands. Now we're coming out of Holy Week, a time where we have looked at Jesus Christ on the cross, Jesus Christ resurrected on Easter Sunday, and Jesus Christ on the cross to me is the clearest indication of God's faithfulness to people like you and me. Now, I know I'm a preacher and I'm supposed to be saying things like that, but let's think about it. Nowhere in any book in all of history, no one could have ever conceived of a God who would enter into humanity and take the blame for broken and crooked people. One of the things that trips me up every single time I think about it is Jesus on his way to the cross where he's being beaten, spit on, and mocked, and disrespected like crazy. And they say, Jesus, King of Nazareth, prophesy to us, who does hit you? Jesus looks at them and says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Now, this is the faithful God who has come down and gone to the cross on behalf of you and me to take our sins. And Peter is saying, look to this faithful creator, look to this faithful God and continue to deposit everything that's precious to you into his hands. I think for a lot of us, this means praying again, to commit your trust to God, even though you don't understand what he's doing. I think it means depositing our time. Um, and a lot of us have more free time now than we ever thought we'd, we'd have. I think it means depositing our time and investing our lives into something that we can't see and can't control. That's what it means to deposit. When you think about who you would deposit your money with, it has to be a reputable bank. None of us are gonna take our hard-earned money and put it into some bank that we've never heard of. We want a bank with a reputation. What is God's reputation? What is God's track record in our lives? What is God's track record in scripture? It's that he is the one who has gone to the cross on our behalf and invites us and gives us new life, even though we didn't deserve it. This is the God that is calling us right now to commit our lives to him, even when you don't understand what's going on. Now, I'm gonna pray for us in a moment, and I'm gonna be praying for two groups of people, those of us in here who are gearing up and ready to commit our lives, and also those of us who really don't know what we wanna do, or we might wanna run in the opposite direction. Let me pray for us. God, our Father, I pray that we would let these words of Peter guide us and that they would lead us to having endurance in understanding the purpose for which you have pain in our lives. That even though 
it's not your desire that we experience pain, that you as a good goldsmith can use it and refine us and make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those who are experiencing intense pain and intense heat from that fire. And Lord, I pray that they would see that connection, even if it doesn't move them to want to do anything with it right now, that they would have a curiosity about what you might be up to in their lives and draw camaraderie from Jesus, who he himself suffered. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray, amen.